Matthew 13, beginning at verse 1, this is God's holy and infallible word. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while the people stood on the shore. And then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plant. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. Uh, in verse 18, like Jesus often did with the parables, uh, he explained them to his disciples, but not necessarily to the masses. He says to his disciples here, uh, and to you and me, verse 18, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell in rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who receives the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. It's God's word for us tonight. Spring is a time of sowing seeds, planting crops, tilling the soil. We don't see nearly the activity that we would if we lived in, in Minnesota or in central or southern Illinois or Nigeria, but we do see the grass turning green and growing and needing to be cut, flowers blooming, trees budding, rain pouring, lightning flashing. It's beautiful. It's invigorating, especially after the winter we had. And some of us get busy in our gardens again about this time of year. A couple of years ago at our home, we started square foot gardening, and just this past week, Sarah got started in the three four-by-four-foot gardens we have in our backyard currently. We read a parable about planting, about sowing, and next Sunday night, the Lord willing, we'll read a parable that immediately follows it, which is about weeds. Parables are stories Jesus told to teach spiritual truths to his disciples. And in Matthew 13, Jesus is especially teaching us about the kingdom of God. There are actually seven kingdom parables just in chapter 13. And the first two are appropriate for springtime because they remind us of planting and gardening and later weeds. We won't talk about that quite yet next week. This is a well-known parable if you've been a Christian for a while. And a lot of times, it's about 
the mission of the church. The word of God going out, people responding, and the focus you'll hear in a lot of messages on the kingdom of God. The parables are all about the kingdom. The kingdom of God in a big, broad sense. Evangelism, growing the kingdom, the great commission. But that's not going to be our main focus tonight. We're going to focus on the kingdom But when we look carefully, we see that this parable especially brings us to the kingdom origins, where the kingdom starts. And of course, the kingdom starts in our hearts. The kingdom of God is much bigger and broader than our hearts, but it's got to start there. And when it comes down to it, the kingdom when it expands and grows, it expands and grows quite simply one individual heart at a time. And tonight, what I want us to do together is especially call you to to meditate on your own heart and, and to see what this parable might be teaching us about tending to the garden that is our hearts. There are three S words that describe the three main pictures Jesus uses in this parable. He talks about the soil, the seed, and there's the sower, the farmer. We're going to spend by far most of our time on the soil because Jesus gives us the most details about the soil And then at the very end, we're going to spend just a little bit of time about those other two, the seed and the sower. Well, we have our four different soils described. Jesus' explanation of the parable that we read refers to the seeds that are sown in the heart. And so we don't have to guess what the soil represents. Jesus says the soil is to represent the heart. And while you could look at these four soils as describing four different types of hearts, four different types of people, the truth of the matter is there is some of all of these soils to be found in all our hearts. And looking at it that way, knowing that, I think can help us tend to the soil of our hearts. And tending to our hearts, that's an important call in Scripture. Um, You know, we, we talk about the sovereignty of God. He saves. It's 100% Him. We can't save ourselves. He prepares our hearts. His salvation is by grace through faith. And even that true faith that enables us to respond That's not our own. Even our faith that we exercise is a gift from Him. And yet, all that being said, we have callings in our life of faith too. We don't do nothing. We are called to respond to God's call. We have responsibilities to accept Jesus' invitation to come to Him. And we are called to grow in Jesus. We're called to be holy. 
And so a Christian has to keep in balance what the Bible says very clearly about God's sovereignty, but also what the Bible says very clearly about our responsibility and our calling in the life of faith. This parable gives us, I believe, an encouragement in terms of an area that is our responsibility, and that's each one of us tending to our hearts. One person explains the four soils as hard-heartedness, shallow-heartedness, half-heartedness, and wholeheartedness. Our goal is to have wholeheartedness, and we're called to guard against the dangers of the others. The first one is hard-heartedness. That's where all people are naturally. By default, we are hard-hearted. Romans 1 is a place that gets into great detail telling us that the cause of hard hearts is sin. Sin leads to a rejection of God's truth. That leads to even more sin. Sin isn't only doing bad things. Sin is ultimately a down-deep opposition to God himself and his nature. As one pastor puts it, all of God's attributes, everything he is, his sovereignty, his holiness, his omniscience, that he knows everything, his immutability, the fact that he doesn't change, even his love, all of those things are offensive to the natural person if that person really understands them, biblically speaking. When we talk about hardness of heart, we really easily think about people who have rejected Jesus, immoral people, all the evil and junk that's in our culture. It's all true, but tonight, let's consider that our hearts can be hard. Consider where you want to hold on to a certain sin. Think about where you reject who God is. Maybe an attribute of God. Say where you gladly receive for yourself the mercy of the Lord. But when you think about that sucker who wronged you, or you think about someone we read about who has done great evil, well, Maybe you don't like the free, unconditional grace of God quite so much. Hard hearts won't have room for God's word, and they won't produce a spiritual harvest. Satan will be able to snatch away God's word very quickly, like birds grab seeds that lay openly on hard soil. Where do you and I need to till the soil tonight? Is there an unrepentant sin? Is there bitterness? Is there dissatisfaction? Ask God to work His great and loving hand in your heart and loosen the soil to create openness to His working, to knowing Him in all His fullness so that even you can receive his seed. When you think about the garden that is your heart, do you see 
freshly tilled, moist dirt, ready to receive God's seed and and the rain. Well, good, I'm glad if you see that. But what about that way far corner of your heart? Because sometimes we leave a little patch of our hearts to indulge that one sin. May our hearts be soft through and through to the very deepest corners. Another danger is shallow-heartedness, and that's the rocky ground. When I was five years old, my family lived in Bundy, Minnesota. That's a small town of about six houses and a church, two hours west of Minneapolis-St. Paul. My dad had an internship serving in the Bundy Christian Reformed Church there. The ground in the surrounding fields uh, was notoriously rocky in that area. It's near Clara City, Prinsburg, which are slightly bigger towns that you might have heard of if you know anything about Minnesota. But each year, new rocks would rise closer to the surface. And I don't understand how that happens with, with the layers of the earth and everything, but that's what would happen. Every year, new rocks would rise up somehow. The farmers didn't just let that be because they knew that it would impact the harvest. Instead, before planting, they would go through the fields to remove the rocks There were big ones, but a lot of them were just smaller ones, and they would be removed by groups of kids driving behind a tractor and like a wagon, and and they called it picking rock, picking rock. I did it a couple times. In fact, once I saved one of those rocks because it was so round, and I don't know where it is, but I can picture it like it was yesterday. I always liked rocks, but... It was nothing special about it except it was so round. The other kids thought that was just silly because the rocks were nothing but trouble to them and their families and the crops, right? And rocky places in the ground of our hearts are nothing but trouble to the Christian because the soil is shallow there. With rocks just under the surface, you might only have an inch or two of of soil and then the roots can't go down. And as God's Word said, when trouble or persecution comes, that heart can quickly fall away. I've said this has been called shallow hardness. What is that? Well, most people connect that with the tendency to be content with a faith that doesn't go deep. There are a lot of people that look at churches and Christians today and see people who leave one church and go to another because there's excitement at that church. They go to this or that happening church. People seem to want to come out of sermons with a how-to list for their lives. People seem to be quite excited about churches that offer all sorts of programs, multiple worship times, great music, lights, but are about an inch deep. We do not judge others, even though we see very obvious trends around us towards church light 
and Christianity light. The question tonight is, how might that impact your heart and my heart? How might that tendency towards a shallow faith that is not uncommon, how might that impact my life? Well, maybe it could help by thinking about junk food and That's a temptation for all of us. Food that's really tasty, it goes down easily, it's tempting. But the nutritional value is questionable. And the sugars added to our bodies can be downright dangerous. We need a diet of substantial food with protein, nutritional food. In the same way, our intake in terms of our faith, it's got to be solid, it's got to be nutritional. It's got to be substantial. We have to feed on the depth of God's Word. We have to be connected with and know the historic Christian faith. we got to care truly about being fed by God's Word and not just be content or be looking for a story or two. Instead of wanting to be spoon-fed with baby food, we're called to crave the meat and potatoes that God has for us And that's how we will grow up to be the people God wants us to be. That will create a deep faith rather than a shallow one that God's Word says will be easily shaken when hard times hit. We can also talk about half-heartedness. And this is where the seed fell among the thorns and the thorns strangled and choked the seed. The Bible said this is about the worries of this life, about the deceitfulness of wealth. In general, that's describing the things of this world. We can let a desire and commitment for the things of this world take up part of our hearts, and then we're like, oh, we'll leave the rest for God of my heart. But that's not enough. God calls for 100% commitment, our whole hearts. There are bad things in this world that can choke out the seed of God. But but what I want you to consider tonight, because I'm guessing you're mostly aware of the bad things, they're more obvious, but consider that even good things can choke out the seed of God. I listened uh, recently to a meditation from a Christian pastor I really respect who said, that in his observation, good, many good Christian families are just too busy today. And we're not allowing ourselves time in secret with the Lord, quiet times, meditating on His Word, in prayer, in devotions with our family, being in worship. And it can be because of good things, sports, family events, even church activities. Let's guard against the bad, but also guard against the good things, choking out the seed of God in our lives. I think even of on a day like this of family get-togethers, on Mother's Day, on Father's Day next month, good things. But you know what? Even that is a thorn if it prevents a family from worship with God's people where the seed of the Word goes out. So we're called to clear the thorns, cut through the thorns that can and do strangle the seed of the Lord. 
The goal is that when God's seed comes to us, it's falling on good soil. That our heart doesn't look hard, that it's not shallow or half-hearted, but whole-hearted. And this is what we pray for, this is what we work towards and put effort towards. I mentioned that Sarah started work in our gardens this past week. She had said she was going to start at it, and I thought, well, great, she'll, she'll go out there. And I think this was her intention, too. She'll go out there, take a look, make a plan, maybe get started. Well, guess what? Half a day later, she was finished. She finished planning, finished preparing the soil, finished planting. Sarah amazes me regularly. Let me be clear about that. I'm often impressed, but I was really impressed with this. This was unexpected. Well, what if all of us consistently tackled the garden of our hearts with that kind of focus and that determination rather than delaying, rather than letting other projects, even good projects, get in the way? Let's, as God's people, get at the tending of our hearts. I said we talk about the seed and the sower briefly too, and we're going to do that. And about the seed tonight, I just want to encourage you to cherish the seed. That's my simple call in terms of the seed. Cherish the seed. The seed is of God. The seed is really the Word of God. This is what goes out. The good news. This seed, we've got to cherish it because it's not just something that we come up with. It's not something that we can create. This is a totally divine seed. It's very precious. Charles Spurgeon puts it this way. Human beings can't even create a grain of sand. And that's true. We can't create even a grain of sand, let alone this celestial seed, this seed from heaven. So if we can't even create anything, well, we certainly can't create this word that's from heaven. So we cherish it, and as we think of the seed, it reminds us that as much as we are called to cultivate our hearts and work at that, the origin of our spiritual life, it's entirely of God. It comes from Him, and it can only come from Him. And when we think of the sower, finally, we're reminded of that too. Because the ultimate sower is Jesus Christ. The sower is the Holy Spirit. The sower is the Father from whom all blessings flow. The sower is our God. We ourselves are called to sow the seed as his disciples and followers, but it's a secondary sowing. Preachers are called to sow the seed of the word especially, and each one of God's children is called to be involved in the task of getting the seed out. And the heart and core of the church is exactly that, getting that seed out both here amongst ourselves in this place and out there everywhere we go, 
We support the ministry of the church and are involved in it together for that main purpose of getting the seed of God's word into hearts, even our own hearts. But we need reminding that we're sowing his seed and that it's all about the sower, not us. And while we work hard at what we're called to do, we also pray hard for his blessing as the seed goes out, that it takes root, that it bears fruit. So my encouragement for you tonight is based on God's prior work. Work and pray hard for the seed to be planted, to take root, to bear fruit in your heart. That is how the kingdom starts. That is how the kingdom of God grows. One heart at a time. Starting with your heart. Stop concentrating so much on the spiritual growth or lack thereof that you see in your spouse or in that or this or that other person. Tend to your garden, will you? And I've got to remember that too. That's God's call. And watch what he'll do.